from CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub. This is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today we look at gentrification and its potential relationship with enrollment patterns at urban neighborhood schools. What was interesting to me was that when you sort of look at urban schools and urban contexts through the lens of gentrification, really a lot of those sort of prevailing understandings of the challenges that urban schools and urban spaces have faced for so long, some of that is, is being upended. We welcome Stanford University's Francis Pearman, whose new study provides the first national evidence on patterns and relations of gentrification with respect to urban schooling. Pearman joins CPRI Knowledge Hub managing editor Keith Humiller to discuss his findings. When gentrifiers are non-whites, we actually observed an increase in the number of black students at neighborhood schools. And what that seems to speak to is there's potentially a differential type of investment in community institutions based on uh, you know, the racial composition of gentrifiers. And how they might influence future research in this emerging field of study. I think uh, we're getting at the point now where there's a lot of need in terms of understanding what the impacts of gentrification are on features of neighborhood schools beyond demographic composition. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Muller, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. I have the great pleasure of speaking with Francis Alvin Perriman, Assistant Professor of Education in the Graduate School of Education at Stanford University. Thanks so much for joining us, Francis. Oh, it's my pleasure. Today we're going to be discussing your new study, which was recently published in the journal Urban Education, titled Gentrification, Geography, and the Declining Enrollment of Neighborhood Schools. It takes a unique look at one of the more understudied topics in American education, neighborhood change. Specifically, you examine the relationship between gentrification and urban schooling using longitudinal data from 2000 to 2014. To start, it might help just to define the term gentrification a little bit, at least as we currently understand it, and maybe provide some context into how gentrification has been occurring in urban communities here in the U.S., Right. I think that's a wonderful way to, to start the conversation because so, so much of the, uh, the challenges around sort of furthering uh, the conversation around gentrification, so many, so many of the challenges around designing and, and advocating for adequate responsive policies really uh, it stems from and uh, the fact that many people talk about a different issue when they're talking about gentrification, right? Like the term is defined in, in many, many ways. So in, in general, most folks are, uh, are in agreement that, that when we're talking about gentrification, we're talking about a type of change in what we might think of as previously disinvested neighborhoods uh, that's characterized by an influx of higher SES uh, households and increase in uh, property values, right? Like those are two sort of, I don't know what we might think of as, as uh, commonalities across uh, how people talk about gentrification. Now, there's other issues, uh, definitional issues that, that folks are a little more unsettled on, and that's sort of the role of displacement, which we can talk about uh, more extensively later in the conversation. In this study, I'm, I'm simply uh, defining gentrification as the influx of higher SES households into previously disinvested neighborhoods. And I'm defining previously disinvested neighborhoods in a very specific way as well. And that's low-income neighborhoods defined as you know neighborhoods with uh, median incomes below the 40th percentile of their respective city and whose uh, housing stock is uh, similarly sort of uh, old, right, relative to, to the city averages. 
So there's this influx of high risk households into these neighborhoods and a consequent increase in property values as well. That's really how I, how I talk about it. So folks have kind of studied gentrification for some time. And certainly the, the body of scholarship has been growing uh, exponentially since the, really the turn of the 21st century. And most of that work is uh, sort of considered like housing related outcomes, uh, right? Like the impacts of gentrification on, uh, on whether or not long-term residents are displaced, uh, right? Where they're displaced to. There's a lot of work in that space. Uh, there's actually a fair amount of work around sort of the connection between gentrification and institutional change at the, at the neighborhood level. But as you mentioned in the introduction, comparatively less is known about uh, the connection between gentrification and urban schools, certainly in sort of the quantitative scholarship. There's very little generalizable information about the connection between gentrification and urban schooling, and certainly at the national level. So, so that's really what, what kind of motivates this study. And that was actually going to be my next question. I was curious what drew you to this line of research. Were there particular trends you were seeing at either the local or national levels or were there you know, specific gaps in the literature that you were hoping to examine throughout the course of this study? So for some time now, you know, I've, I've been deeply interested in issues of racial and social inequality and how those issues play out within uh, urban schools in particular. And really throughout sort of my graduate work in my first couple of years as a, as a professor in, in the academy, you know, I've, I've studied extensively urban schools and urban contexts. And for a long time, really the conversation around urban schools or, or how folks sort of understand and study urban schools has been sort of through the lens of understanding sort of the consequences and impacts of structural disinvestment, uh, right? And the, the impacts of that on issues of educational access and opportunity. And, and for good reason, right? I mean, even, even today, I mean, sort of the modal experience in, uh, in urban spaces today is not one of gentrification, it's one of sustained disinvestment. So there, there's, there's good reason to study uh, urban contexts uh, in that way. However, I kind of read broadly and, and expansively uh, with respect to the, sort of the topics that I'm interested in uh, and became uh, aware that sort of issues of gentrification was sort of core part of my interest. Now, what, uh, what was interesting to me was that when you sort of look at urban schools and urban contexts through the lens of gentrification, really a lot of those prevailing understandings of the challenges that urban schools and urban spaces have, have faced for so long, right? We're talking about disinvestment, isolation, segregation. A lot of those sort of fundamental, what we might think of as like definitional issues about urban schools, some of that is, is being upended, right? There are an increasing number of neighborhoods nationwide where the very nature of that disinvestment disadvantage is beginning to change. And we just don't really know, A, or we haven't known, uh, A, really what communities that's referring to, like how often that happens. And then, you know, what is, what's the relationship between that happening? And by that, I'm referring to gentrification. What's the relationship between that happening? Uh, what we might think of as investment in neighborhood schools, uh, right? So like, how is the structure and function of neighborhood schools changing as a result of this radical demographic structural change happening in surrounding neighborhoods? This may be a little bit of an understatement, but it seems like this is a, a complicated line of inquiry examining the relationship between gentrification and uh, urban schooling and enrollment. Could you give us an overview of your approach to this work? Um, what questions did you have and how did you go about trying to find the answers? You're absolutely right. This is a, a deeply sort of challenging phenomenon to not only get your mind around, right, but, but really to study uh, empirically. I began the study sort of from the stance that this is really uh, going to be sort of an introductory type of analysis that hopefully will generate more research in this area. 
hopefully generate hypotheses that need to be tested regarding the connection between gentrification and urban schools. So at its core, you know, gentrification is really a process of neighborhood change. So I knew that in order to study sort of the connection between gentrification and urban schools, I needed to adopt, you know, a longitudinal framework to study it. That's uh, essentially what I, what I did in, in this paper. You know, there, there, there are ways, and, you know, we can get into the methods and you know, the nuts and bolts of it, uh, you know, if you wish. But generally speaking, in the study, uh, you know, I essentially uh, looked at urban schools at the beginning of 2000 and looked at schools that were sort of, uh, that were located in what we might think of as gentrifiable neighborhoods, right? So, gen- so these are urban schools that are located in neighborhoods uh, that are low income, but also have a sizable share of sort of old housing stock. You know, the idea there is that, you know, we're defining disinvestment or gentrifiable in terms of uh, neighborhoods that, that, that where there's room for like speculative housing investment, right? So defining neighborhoods, uh, gentrifiable neighborhoods in the year 2000, and then looking at how gentrification that occurred, uh, sort of, you might think of gentrification at, at like a baseline period 2000 to 2014, like the gentrification that happened during that period, what sort of changes did we see in urban schools uh, during that time frame as well, right? So essentially, you know, I'm able to so equalize schools at baseline through different methods. So, so basically, we can say, you know, what is the relationship between gentrification and changes in the demographic composition of neighborhood schools. So I'm not really looking at levels of demographic characteristic, shares of white, shares of uh, black low income. I'm looking at how gentrification related to changes in those characteristics, which I think is a, a better way of sort of studying the phenomenon. And there's a, a great breakdown of your methods along with the controls that you use to specifically hone in on this relationship with gentrification. So if people are interested in those details, I encourage them to go read the full paper. It really is a good one. So from there, I'd, I'd like to just jump in your findings if we can. So you report some intriguing findings, uh, beginning with the rates of school neighborhood gentrification in the U.S. So could you tell us what you learned there? Right, right. So, so there was sort of a number of aims in this paper. They were all descriptive, as I noted a few, few moments ago. Uh, you know, the first section of, of the paper was really interested in documenting sort of patterns and trends of gentrification occurring around urban schools. So that was sort of the objective before I got into the analysis that I just described in terms of looking at what's the relationship between gentrification and demographic change at the neighborhood school. But to your question, there was a number of things that were interesting uh, in terms of sort of patterns and trends. One, when you look at it uh, sort of across the country, about 4% of urban schools uh, overall experienced gentrification during this time frame, right? Now, you know, when you think of the heated debate around gentrification, I mean, one would uh, one would assume, based on you know some of those conversations, that uh, that gentrification is really a like a pervasive issue or, or pervasive trend that's that's affecting you know neighborhoods everywhere. But that's that's not that's not the case. Uh, we're talking about really on uh, overall about four percent of urban schools are experiencing this type of gentrification. But there's another way that you can sort of think about rates. The one that I just described in terms of four percent of urban schools. That's that's like overall rates. So that's the number of urban schools experiencing gentrification divided by the total number of uh, urban schools, right? But there's another sort of rate that you can talk about, and that's what we might think of as a population at risk rates of gentrification. So that's the number of uh, urban schools nationwide experiencing gentrification divided by the number of schools eligible for gentrification, right? So you could think about this as, uh, as sort of what's the rate of urban schools that gentrified that were originally eligible to gentrify. And, and that was about a quarter. So a quarter of schools uh, that were eligible for gentrification at baseline experienced gentrification 14 years later in 2014, right? So, uh, so those two findings were important data points. And they actually align with, you know, other work that studied gentrification, defining neighborhoods slightly differently than I do in this paper, which is strictly in terms of 
uh, really school attendance boundaries. But my point is other work has sort of found that you know, rates of gentrification are, are, are perhaps less extensive nationwide than one, would, uh, than one would think based on the national conversation. I mean, that's not to say that, uh, you know, when it does happen, it, that it's not credibly disruptive for the social, uh, demographic, uh, political sort of organization of, of communities. But if we're simply talking in terms of rates, those are important data points to, to keep in mind. But then, you know, th- there's another question that I asked in this same sort of patterns and trends section of, of the of this study. Uh, and that was, well, are there places in which it's happening more or less, uh, right? Uh, and and there are some really interesting findings uh, there as well. You know, you have cities such as Boston and Austin, Texas, where uh, urban schools, uh, nearly half of urban schools in those communities, uh, in those cities, experienced gentrification, you know, after the turn of the 21st century. But at the other end of the spectrum, you have cities such as uh, Cleveland, Detroit, Memphis, in which uh, there are virtually no urban schools in those communities uh, that experience gentrification during the observation period. So there's there's important, the point is there's important variation uh, when we're talking about the phenomena of gentrification, variation across places, across cities, and important variation in terms of, uh, you know, potential changes in the demographic composition of, of the neighborhood schools uh, themselves. You actually just answered uh, my next question a little bit, which was about your findings in terms of spatial variation. And you had mentioned that uh, some areas of the country, in your paper, I believe you mentioned that in the Northeast saw more gentrification than other areas. Is there anything there you'd like to expand on? Yeah, I think one point that I think is important to make is that for the last several decades, the vast majority of that scholarship has concerned gentrification happening in really the largest metro areas in the country, right? So there's uh, there's this sort of big city bias in this sort of work. So you have a lot of work coming from or rooted uh, in Chicago, for instance, in New York, in Philadelphia, in your, your Philadelphia, uh, for instance, uh, and for good reason, right? I mean, big cities have a sort of unique space in sort of the broader economy. Uh, they, they're obviously very large in terms of population, so there's a lot of people being uh, potentially affected by it. That, but there's a potential like blind spot in there. Uh, if what we know about gentrification, uh, if what we know about the influx of higher CS households into disinvested neighborhoods is sort of restricted to that which occurs in the largest cities, the question is, well, are those patterns playing out in the same way in maybe smaller cities, right? Or cities that you know aren't on the East Coast, <laughs> you know, uh, for instance. Uh, so that's precisely what I did in this paper. I mean, I, I, I launched from that point and said, well, okay, given that sort of critique, uh, if you will, you know, how are patterns and trends of gentrification in relation to urban schooling? How do they, how do they differ across cities as well? So finally, uh, using your data, you also modeled the relationship between gentrification and changes to the demographic composition of urban neighborhood schools. Could you walk us through what you found there? So there, there were a couple really interesting uh, findings. Overall, uh, we found that as gentrification occurs around urban schools, uh, those schools see declines in overall enrollment patterns. We, we sort of equalize uh, schools in terms of how their size at baseline as gentrification happens around them you know, over the next decade or so. You see those schools that experience gentrification uh, actually seeing a decline in total enrollment. But there's some interesting sort of nuance to those findings uh, as, as well. I also observe that that relationship is strongest uh, when uh, gentrifiers are white, uh, right? So, so I, I, earlier in the conversation, we were talking about definitional issues, right? And how I specifically define gentrification in, in, in my work. And I was careful to, to note that, you know, when I define gentrification, I, I talk about it strictly in terms of uh, socioeconomic ascent, not necessarily the influx of white folks, but the influx of higher SES households more generally. And the reason for that is 
we know that gentrification isn't restricted to affluent white folks. Affluent black folks, for instance, uh, there's cases that, that have been uh, examined in D.C. area, in Chicago. Mary Patillo's written on this uh, issue of black gentrification as well. Uh, the point is when we sort of define gentrification broadly in, in socioeconomic terms, uh, we can also explore potential variation in patterns of gentrification depending on the racial composition of the gentrifiers, right? So it, it allows for sort of even a more nuanced look at the relationship between redevelopment, urban redevelopment, property uh, value increases, uh, and, and urban schools. So as I noted, we saw declines in overall, uh, overall enrollment that were strongest uh, when gentrifiers uh, were themselves uh, white. But there was also this really intriguing, sort of somewhat unexpected finding as well that's sort of related, uh, you know, related to this uh, gentrification demographic change uh, relationship. And that was when gentrifiers are non-white, right? When the, in- when the influx of higher SES households into disinvested neighborhoods is defined increasingly by non-white households. We actually observed an increase in the number of black students at and neighborhood schools. And frankly, that was an unexpected uh, finding. You know, I've, I've done previous work around uh, with Walker Swain down in Georgia. And, you know, we, we've noted uh, using similar sort of nationwide analyses that, for instance, school choice increases the likelihood of gentrification in disinvested neighborhoods. And that pattern held for both white and black households. So I, I was suspecting that perhaps uh, b- black households uh, would be similarly disinclined to invest in the neighborhood schools if they gentrify urban neighborhoods. Uh, but it appears based on this this work that that the relationship between gentrification and urban schools is different depending on whether gentrifiers are white or not. And what that seems to speak to is, is there's potentially a differential type of investment in community institutions based on, uh, you know, the racial composition of, uh, of gentrifiers. I'm curious to know what you think the implications of your work might be, particularly given the oft-heated debates we hear not only about urban gentrification, but about things like school choice and school enrollment in general. Right. So I think there are a number of, of implications for this work. I think the one finding that, you know, I speak about uh, most of this sort of exploratory work that, that I do is, you know, the importance for like follow-up studies, right, <laughs> to uh, to clarify the mechanisms, uh, right, to tease apart some of like the broad sort of population level estimates that I'm, that I'm getting at. But I think, I think the big sort of observation is that, you know, left to its own uh, devices, if you will, uh, left to its own devices, gentrification on its own doesn't appear to be this unfettered potential good for urban schools. Uh, you know, left, left to its own devices, what I mean by that is, you know, in the absence of particular policies uh, designed to potentially, you know, entice higher SES households to engage or invest in neighborhood schools. It doesn't appear that that happened. Now, now I'm, I'm saying that even fully aware. I know Maya Kuchar has done some incredible work uh, in Philadelphia where she studied uh, sort of the public partnerships in, in Philadelphia uh, between the school district and local uh, business leaders. And, and she actually found in some of her work that local business leaders were actually able to, through various means, encourage and, and incentivize uh, higher SES uh, white households to invest in neighborhood schools. But, you know, she documents in that study, there's some complications there, to, to say the least, in terms of uh, the types of changes to the organization of schools, the political changes to the urban schools that happened as a result of that. But my point is simply that before we sort of design effective policies to achieve whatever ends we're, we're, we're desiring, we need to understand really what this process and what these patterns are are looking like. And, and that's really the space that this, this paper is really situated in. And my final question is, uh, do you think there are opportunities here for future research, either for you or for others who are um, working in this area? 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, you know, in the paper, I mean, I document a, a handful of them, but I think uh, we're getting at the point now where where there's a lot of need uh, in terms of understanding what the impacts of gentrification are on features of neighborhood schools beyond demographic composition. So we could talk about how do achievement patterns, for instance, at neighborhood schools change uh, as their surrounding neighborhoods uh, gentrify. How does the political organization of of schools change uh, as a result of their uh, neighborhoods gentrifying? But then, you know, there's also sort of important work around understanding what the consequences of gentrification are, for instance, uh, children who are displaced, right? Like, where are they going? What are the impacts of uh, their being displaced on achievement uh, or education-related outcomes? So, really, the ground is very fertile in this area of of research. And, uh, you know, surely I'm not the only one in this space for a number of folks who have uh, been uh, doing this type of work for for some time, but there's still quite a bit of, uh, of work that needs to be done, even replication uh, work. I mean, obviously, I, I do sort of broad-scale population-level work, uh, but a lot of these findings that I documented in this paper, you know, may or may not hold in a particular city, uh, right? And the more of those sort of local, careful, even qualitative studies that privilege or highlight the voices of, of folks who are being affected by displacement, specifically households with children, for instance, all those types of questions, all those sorts of uh, studies are, uh, uh, are really important right now. It certainly seems like a line of inquiry that's worth following moving forward. And your your work here, uh, again, is just incredible. I want to encourage all of our listeners to go and read uh, the full article. Again, it's titled Gentrification, Geography, and the Declining Enrollment of Neighborhood Schools. And it was recently published in Urban Education. Francis Alvin Perriman, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes of this podcast, or to subscribe to the series, visit us at researchminutes.org. To share your thoughts on today's episode, or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at CPRI Hub. That's C-P-R-E Hub.